For how many of you did that bring back some memories? Hmm? Probably more of you than were willing to just put your hands up. Um, This is always an interesting question to ask people. How do you see God? We talked about this in a group I was in a, a little while ago, and some said I see him a certain way, and some said I don't really see him as a person. How, how do you picture God? If not a picture, then what do you think of when the word God is mentioned? Is it something out of nature? Is it bright light? I mean, how do you in some way visually think about the concept of God? Well, why does it even matter? Why am I asking Because I think that's one way for us to wrestle with the whole issue of our own relationship with God. How we see Him is a window or a little window into our relationship with God. I have a checklist in the sermon notes. And it lists just a variety. It's not made to be a complete list. But a variety of different ways I think people would describe their relationship with God. And I'd like you to ask yourself that question today as we begin this sermon. How do you see your relationship with God? Some would say we're strangers. I I don't even know him and he doesn't know me. That may be the box you need to check. Some would say, well, I know him, but we're pretty distant. I'm shocked I'm here in church on Sunday. He and I don't spend much time together. We're pretty distant. And that's your checkbox Some would say we're estranged right now. God failed me. God didn't answer a prayer. God let this bad thing happen and I don't think he should have. Or I've done something so bad I'm sure he doesn't want to see me. So we're we're pretty separated right now. We're estranged. For some, maybe it's more a case of you see God as sort of this boss or this referee who's evaluating you, making sure you're doing your job, you're measuring up, you're good enough, and you're convinced he's got a big clipboard with a checklist, and you're worried about how that checklist is going for you, and that's how you see God. For some, maybe it's like, well, we're neighbors. I wave as we pass. Uh, You know, we sort of recognize each other's face. I know your car. I know it should be in the neighborhood. Maybe a step up from that is occasional friends. We talk once in a while. Then there's close friends where we we know each other pretty good. We know what's going on. I, I feel like we're in sync. And then there's that final stage, maybe that highest stage, and that is where we're family. We have a very close relationship with each other of that list where would you check for you today when you walked in that door where are you and God perhaps the more interesting question would be to say if you got to peek on God's clipboard and he had this list where do you think God would mark it for you for that relationship between him and you which checkbox would God mark Which, one more question, and then we'll leave the blasted list. What checkbox do you think God would like to mark for his relationship with you? 
that's really where we're going to go today. And to begin with, I want to make this statement, and I know it's a big statement. But I want to talk about the most unbelievable fact in the Bible. And I, I, I mean that with all seriousness. I think you will be amazed, you'll be shocked, you'll say, no way, that can't be. But it is, it's true. And that fact is this. God absolutely loves you. God loves you. He's crazy about you. Some of you understand that, but some of you are probably like, no way. There's no way that's true. But it is. And I'm not going to use the most obvious verse that we're probably more familiar with than any other verse, John 3.16. For God so loved the world. And I'm not going to stay there and go there because we're too familiar with it. And I think we've all learned we can sort of write that one off. So I've got some other verses I want us to look at that drive home this unbelievable fact that God wants to love me. God wants to love you. Isaiah 43, 4. Since, since, because you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, God says, I'm going to do this and this and this. But I want you to see that first part of that verse. You are precious and honored. You're special to him. You are. And he loves you. And he's willing to act out of that status, how he views you, how important you are to him. Because he loves you, he's going to act. Also in Isaiah 49, 15, in talking about his love and how big and how, how committed he is to you, he says, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast? And have no compassion on the child she has born? And that's one of those kinds of questions, well, of course not. What mother who has carried that baby in her womb, who has nursed that baby, who has had sleepless nights and cleaned up throw up and, and diapers and just everything, and has been there for the first smile and the first tooth and the first step, and on and on through the years. And he said, now, is that kind of mother ever going to forget that child? Of course not. But what God is saying in this verse is, well, believe me, my love is such, all the mothers will have forgotten all their children in the world, but I will still be loving you. Because my love for you is so much beyond what a mother has for her own child. That's how deeply God loves you. That's how special you are to him. That's how important you are to him. One more verse, Jeremiah 31.3. The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, have I, loved, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. I'll never forget you. I will come after you. I love you. And I have tried to draw you to me because you are so important to me. I don't want us to run ahead of these verses. I don't want us to go to the next point. I want that to settle in. 
Because if you don't get this, it really is, makes us uncomfortable and we don't know what to do with this. That the God who could make the Milky Way would notice you and say, you matter to me. That is truly amazing, but it's true. God loves you deeply. And it's because of that that he wants a relationship with you. As any parent would with their child. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 6.18. God says, I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. That's how God wants to see us. That's the box God wants to check. On how's our relationship? God says, I want you to be my son, my daughter. Sit at the table with me. Watch TV together with me. I want that kind of close relationship with you as a parent has with their child. That was God by thunder affirming what I just said. <laughs> I, I understand when I talk about that. I've, I've been a minister enough years and talked to enough people. There are some of you for whom this isn't always helpful. Because the father you had, the mother you had, the parents you had didn't show you love. And I always wrestle with talking about God as Father. Because I understand. But I also know that even if I have that painful relationship or absence of that relationship, somewhere in there is buried that desire I wish I could have had that relationship. And God knows that. And He says, maybe you didn't before but you'll find it in me. I am not that absent father. I'm not that distant father. I'm not that abusive father. I'm not that uncaring father. I am the father you always wish you had, and I want that relationship with you. I want to be that source of love and unconditional acceptance and always there for you. I am that kind of father, and I have that kind of love for you. And I want to meet you and show you that kind of love. The parent you long for exists. And you already have him. He is your heavenly father. And that's what God wants more than anything from you. That relationship. We're going to look at a verse in a minute. But you need to have the setting. Because of what Jesus says. It really begins, the incident begins as a trap that they set for Jesus. And the trap is, Jesus, what is, we need to rank order the commands of God and what's the number one most important command. Now, the the scribe, the Jew who's asking him this, knows this is a setup. Because in Jesus' day, the Jews had identified over 600 commands of God. And they regularly debated the rank order of those priorities. Which the most important, what's the top ten commands and all of that? It was a big debate. You think things were boring in church now. Imagine those debates. 
And so it was a setup for Jesus. What is the number one command? So in other words, what the question is, is what is the most important thing to God? Go to church every Sunday. Make sure you tithe. Don't swear. Don't use his name in vain. What is most important to God? And Jesus says, okay, I'll answer you. And he walked right into it. But we read the answer over in Matthew 22. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest commandment. This is what is most important to the Father. That you love Him. That you really love Him. Why? Because that's how He feels towards you. He loves you so much, that's what's most important. Any of us in relationship would say, yeah, if I love a child, what's most important? That that child would love me back. If I love my wife, what's most important? That she'd love me back. It shouldn't surprise us if we understand that where God is coming from is this deep love for us. It's not about rules. And for a lot of us, that's how we were raised in church. That it's about rules. And we have to earn God's approval. And doing right from wrong is is what it's all about. But again, I want to look at something that happened in Jesus' life and something he said. He's actually talking about the judgment and that evaluation that God will make of our lives. And if you look over here, Jesus says, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform miracles. Now stop there for just a second. Look at all the good things we did. Look at all the big things we did for you. And notice why Jesus says, Then I will plainly tell them, I never knew you. I never had a relationship. They said, God is my judge over here, my referee, and I'm doing stuff for him, and I hope he gives me a good grade. But Jesus says, what I wanted to do was know you, have a relationship with you. That's what God is looking for. And you see, once we understand that, grace makes sense. Why would Jesus go to the cross? Because he loves us so much and he wants us forgiven so we can have that relationship with God. Grace, forgiveness, they all make sense once we understand how deeply God loves us. Turn over to Ephesians 2. And I want you to know why there's an extra amount of scriptures in the notes today. Because I wanted you to have all of these references to take home. So that at some point when you're doubting this, and say, there's no way God cares this deeply for me. I know me. Review these verses. Because he does. And don't ever doubt that. Paul says here, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. 
even when we were dead in transgressions. Why? Because of his great love for us, Christ died on the cross that we might be forgiven. Who wouldn't give their own life for their child? We would. We would give our life for someone we deeply love. And that's what God did. Because of his deep love for you, Jesus died for you. Well, that's where God's coming from. So now, in our terms, the ball is in your court. That's how God feels about you. But I want you to know God won't force himself on you. Relationships don't work that way. Love doesn't work that way. We probably all in our younger years made some really stupid things trying to force ourselves on somebody so they'd love us. And we learn that's pretty counterproductive. It finally, it tends to drive people away. Love has to be there and grow. And God knows that. He won't force himself on this. Notice what James says. Come near to God and he will come near to you. God is ready and willing and wants that relationship, wants that love. But he also knows we have to choose that. We have to say, yeah, I want that. We have to come to him. The ball is in our court. Probably the most popular of Jesus' parables is in Luke 15 at the end of the chapter. It's the parable of the prodigal son. I reference it in the notes. I, we're not going to read it. You're probably familiar with that story. That the younger son rejects his dad and says, I want my part of the inheritance, and he bails and leaves. Notice in the story, the, son, the father does not hold him there, doesn't lock him in his room, doesn't say no, doesn't take the car keys. He says, if you want to leave, leave. And he gives him his part of the inheritance. And while we tend to focus on that prodigal son, this parable is primarily, if you look at the chapter, this parable is primarily about the father. And what does that father do? He waits every day for that son to come back. Because we know he runs to him when he comes while he's still a long ways off. He's watching. And any one of us as a parent would understand that. Today. Would he come back today? And finally, that son ruins his life and wastes his life and figures out that what he had with dad was a pretty good thing. And he comes home. And he has all of his apologies ready. And he just wants a room in the servants' quarters and all of this. And the father just sweeps it all aside. And he says, we're throwing a party. You're back. What you did doesn't matter. But he had to wait for that son to come home. Because that's how relationships work. And that's how God is with each of us. He will not force himself on you. He will never forget you. He will always reach for you. He will invite you. He will do everything he can short of forcing you to come to him. He says, come near to me and I'll be there. I will come near to you. 
God is waiting for each of us. My question is, have you come home? That checklist, can you check that bottom box? That's what God would like you to be. Family with him. Well, how do we do that? What is the way home? In a sense, that's what I want to talk about today. That you would want to go home and be with God and that you would understand that he is waiting for you and loves you dearly and wants that relationship. That's what this kneel is about. In some ways, I would refer you to the first two sermons we looked at. One is connecting and they're hanging back there now. In the sense of we come home with other Christians. Partially because there's other Christians who are more home than I am. Who have a better relationship with God than I do. And they can help me find that. They can coach me. They can give me some tips. They can help me and we can do it together. That's that connecting piece. And the second thing we looked at last Sunday is this growing piece. This thing, there's some things to learn. Some things to straighten out in my head about who God really is. And how he really feels about me and what it means to come home and live with him. And lots of things to learn and understand. The third thing we do to come home is we talk to him. There's not a word up there named with a P. Because we have our stereotypes about prayer. It's just talking to God. Any relationship is based on talking. And God says, just talk to me. You don't have to say it a certain way. You don't have to do it at a certain time. You don't have to be in a certain room. You can talk to me anytime. And I will be there to listen as you talk to me. Come to the prayer room. There are people who are there every Sunday, and I can tell you, they would be thrilled for you to walk in there today and say, could you help me learn to pray? I can't even communicate to you how thrilled they would be to have that request. Because everyone in there loves to pray. And to help somebody else learn to pray would be just phenomenal for them. It's just simpler than we try and make it. Come to any of the prayer events that we have around here. Ask anyone, help me learn to pray. How do you talk to God? It's not as complicated as we've made it. There's a book I've been reading. I'm loving it. It's called The Praying Life. A A Praying Life by um, Paul Miller. I recommend it. Because he starts off, if you think prayer is silly, if you think this is crazy, or if you think it doesn't work, think about this. And the book's about that. So if you struggle to talk to God, that would be a good place to go too. Another piece of that is listen to God. Communication, two-way. Talking to Him, but also listening to Him. One of the best ways we listen to God is His Word, the Bible. Reading it. Little pieces of it. You don't have to read a ton. And just dive in. I I would suggest you dive into the New Testament if you're going to start. It's safer and you have greater odds of success. Of not, not giving up too quick. 
I would not start with Leviticus or Numbers, okay? Or Ecclesiastes. There's a few that are just a little more, uh, well, whatever. Um, but dive in and just start reading a little bit. I, I know I can't, and I get no money from this, or I get nothing from this, but I, I just love you version. Uh, it's a website. You can put it on your tablet, your phone. It's free. It's put out. It's put out by a church. Actually, they, it is. There's no ads. Nothing. One of the things U Version has is they just have a ton of, of Bible reading plans, and they have some where you're saying, I, "I don't know how to do this." Well, they have some. It's a two-week reading plan, a couple verses a day. They're very simple beginner reading plans. Check one of those out. I, one of the greatest compliments I had about my preaching a number of years ago this guy stopped me at the door and he said jim i got to tell you what happened he said before i started coming here i thought the bible was the most boring book in the world and i never touched it and and the way you preached you sort of made it come alive so i decided i had to start reading it and so i i, I started reading matthew and jim i couldn't put it down it was after midnight and i said i got to stop and go to sleep because it really is interesting and I thought, that's what it's all about. My preaching isn't the goal. My preaching is to get you into his word and to make it understandable for you. Because his word is when you get to listen to God and he's going to talk to you. And that's what a relationship is all about. Another piece is worshiping him. I can't claim we planned it this way. Maybe the spirit did. But remember that uh, slide, the, the, the chart in the why of worship? You're not a spectator here. You're an actor here. You're a participant. We're coming into God's presence. And as we sing songs, as we pray to Him, as we read His Word, as we take communion, all of this is us coming into His presence. And when we understand it that way, God becomes more real to us. And we encounter God. Now, here's the really cool thing. Capital W, worship also happens seven days a week. And you don't have to be in this room to do it. And private worship, we'll call that, where just, it's just me and God. And I'm thanking him for what I'm seeing. Or, or, or any of that private worship feeds public worship, what we do here. And public worship feeds private worship. God was awesome on Sunday morning. Maybe I ought to try and talk to him on Monday. God was awesome on Friday when it was just me and him walking. I can't wait for Sunday to worship him with everybody else. Worship feeds each other, public and private. And they all draw us closer to God. He becomes more real when we stop being spectators watching a show. And we come into his presence. There's one last thing I'll put on the list, and that's read. All kinds of books about God and, and this getting to know God. And some great people have written down their stories and their journeys. And I won't even begin to list them all. Our library is full of them. Some of them are biographies. People who've done worse than you've ever thought about doing, and yet God found them and they found God, and their life was turned upside down. There's all kinds of phenomenal books to read. All of those things help us come home to God. 
and get to know Him as He really is. What I want to tell you is there's no place like home. We all tend to take our trips and go far away. But nothing will replace that relationship with God. And when we have that relationship with God, we know Him and He knows us. It changes everything. And that's why that's the third one of our steps in the Christian life is coming to God and kneeling before Him, getting to know Him. Because it changes us forever. Let's pray. Father, it is truly beyond belief that you love us and want a relationship with us. You care. And your number one goal is that we would love you with all our heart, mind, and soul. Father, I pray that someone today in this room would be, for the first time, aware of how much you care about them. I pray that you would help us all take steps closer to you. To come home to you. And know you as the perfect father we all need. Help us love you as you love us. In your son's name, amen.